All right, so while you guys are finding your way to Acts chapter, let's just press reset. We're not in Acts. It's not morning. Everybody just take a deep breath. All right. Let's, uh, while you guys are finding your way to Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, I want to uh, just chat with you guys for a few minutes because uh, part of my story uh, has been that I uh, grew up going to church. That that meant that if the church doors were open, I was there. And so uh, I was super involved in children's ministry and in youth group and went to camps and went to all the things and uh, love and appreciate and believe in and support everything that Allie is doing with our children's ministry and uh, Ryan and Grant and those guys are doing with our student ministry. It is uh, so incredibly important. And I can tell you guys that just from my experience, it was incredibly important in my life. But uh, part of what we're going to be looking at tonight uh, is one of the dangers that that I've been able to observe and and see personally with my own eyes and uh, really is a a temptation, a a danger for uh, all of us as we uh, spend more and more time in church because we we, we can kind of fall into this Christian subculture. And we're going to look at some interesting things that go along with that in Uh, our passage as Jesus calls Levi uh, this week in uh, Luke chapter 5. So um, as we're uh, jumping in, uh, one of the things that that is just, it's really dangerous for us as uh, we fit more and more into this church culture uh, is that the, the, the incredible work that Jesus has done in our lives just becomes normal news. It just becomes something that uh, we look at and go, yeah, you know, I've, I've been forgiven of my sins. Like every, every Easter should be this incredible eruption of joy in our hearts, this incredible news of uh, the, 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 the great work that Jesus did when he was able to pay the sin debt for everyone forever and that we can receive forgiveness if we would uh, simply come to the Lord and acknowledge our sinfulness and, and, and cry out to him. But uh, as time goes by, as that news becomes not new news to us, but just something that we say over and over again, week in and week out, uh, sometimes we, we become tempted to just look at it and go, yeah, that's, that's cool too, I, I guess, right? So as we jump in, let's read our uh, entire passage. We're going to look at the whole story as we always do, get our, our bearings in uh, Luke 5, and then we'll go back and, and dig into it a little bit. So uh, let's look at Luke chapter 5. We're going to read verses 27 all the way down through 32, if you'll follow along with me in your Bible. It says, After that he, uh, being Jesus, went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a, great, a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were there reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Would you guys pray with me? God, we thank you for... God, for your work in uh, our lives. God, we thank you for salvation. God, we thank you that, uh, God, that, that you are here to speak with us tonight. So, God, as we uh, open up your word, God, as we hear from you, God, uh, we pray that you would do your work in us. God, that you would do your work in our hearts, that we would not just uh, hear your words tonight, God, that we would not just understand intellectually your words tonight, but, God, that we would be people who not just uh, hear the word, but, God, that we would be doers of the word. So, God, as we 
we uh, hear from you tonight, God, we pray that you would speak and that you would move not only in our minds, but God, that you would move in our hearts. And we give this time to you. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go back. We're going to look at a couple of different scenes in this. And so the first thing that we're going to look at in verses 27 and 28 is where Jesus calls this sinner uh, to repentance and to follow him. So that's not a new idea. That's something that we've seen several weeks in a row now as Jesus has uh, offered healing to sick people. And uh, you guys remember a couple of weeks ago called a bunch of untrained fishermen, simple guys to uh, follow him. What we see now is Jesus calling someone who uh, really was at the total end of the line. He was, am I doing something? It's my rag. I'm just going to sweat all over myself. That was supposed to keep me cool up here. All right. See what I get for thinking and for trying. All right. So as, uh, as Jesus is, is going in these first couple of verses, what we see is we see Jesus uh, come to a situation where he looks over and he sees this tax collector. It says that he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi. Uh, you guys may recognize him more commonly by his name that Jesus gave him uh, a few chapters later, which is Matthew, the, the, the guy who wrote the, the gospel of Matthew. This is the same Matthew uh, that would write a story about Jesus himself in the gospel of Matthew. But he says to Levi or to Matthew sitting in the tax booth, follow me. And he left behind everything and got up and began to follow him. Jewish tax collectors uh, were easily the most hated people in uh, this area, in this culture during this time. Uh, they were despicable vermin. They, they were uh, looked at with such disgust that, that even beyond criminals, even beyond the worst of the worst, you have tax collectors kind of in a, a different special subset by themselves. In Luke chapter 18, as a uh, Pharisee is uh, praying, uh, he says in Luke 18, 11, uh, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like swindlers and unjust and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So in that prayer, in the way that we see tax collectors talked about throughout the Gospels and throughout Scripture, we know that these guys were not popular guys. So I did a little bit more digging and a little bit more research and found some interesting information about how tax collection worked during that time. So tax collection from the Romans was actually bid out. So what they would do is they would say, we have this area, and whichever one of you thinks you can collect the most tax and pay it to us, uh, that's, that's your area. That's your job. So uh, they would bid this out, and whoever said, we'll pay you the most for that area, that was going to be the tax collector for the region. So what we found, what, what resulted from that is uh, you had crooked people that were looking to extort as much money as possible to, to not only pay their bid that they had to pay to the Romans, but then whatever uh, they brought in above what they were supposed to give to the Romans, they got to keep all of it. So uh, it was not exactly an honorable profession where there were just a few bad apples. What we had in this uh, situation is all of the tax collectors, all of the people that found themselves in this profession were uh, considered crooked and were hated, not only for their robbery, not only for the way that they uh, kind of had carte blanche to take whatever they felt was appropriate from people, as people would come through and people would have to pay a tax on uh, their cart or, or on their uh, sales or possessions or whatever it was that they were being taxed on. Uh, there was no limit to what the tax collector could come up and say, you owe me, blah, blah, blah. 
There was no limit. So not only were they hated because everyone knew they were crooked and everyone knew they were taking uh, what they were taking more than they needed and were robbing from these people, but they were also hated because they were lackeys for the Romans. See, these were Jewish people who were uh, taking money from other Jewish people and were giving it to Rome, were, were supporting the oppressors. And while that may seem uh, bad, I, I think it's difficult for us to really wrap our mind around that, about what exactly that meant. So it's difficult for us to make a parallel. So one commentator, as I was reading this week, I, I thought this was a good parallel. Uh, they said that it would be akin to a Jewish person working alongside of the Nazis to sell out their brothers and sisters, their, their Jewish brothers and sisters, to make a profit. What they were doing was they were using uh, their knowledge, they were using their connections, they were using their Jewish heritage and betraying their Jewish brothers and sisters to support the oppressors. So we've got these low lowlifes. We've got Levi and we've got Levi's tax collector friends that are a key character in this story. They're they're, they're critical to this. These tax collectors, these bottom-of-the-barrel guys, and Jesus comes over, and Jesus looks at Levi, and he, he invites him to follow him. Jesus inviting Levi to follow him was not only shocking. Of, of all the people that you could come up with, if you had, had taken a roster of the whole city of Capernaum, there's probably one person that would be at the very bottom of the list of people that, that seem qualified, people that, that anyone else would say, yeah, that guy uh, deserves to follow Jesus. That guy is the religious guy that, that everyone wants to follow and be around. And Levi was at the very bottom of that list. So as Jesus looks at him, and in verse 28, he says that, that he called Levi, and, and it says that Levi left everything behind and followed. Luke stresses here that, that Levi made a decisive break, that, that he, while he was a tax collector, while he was someone who historically had lived in a, a pretty crooked gray area on, on the morals. Uh, he was someone who decisively made a break from his old life. Literally, the, the way that it's translated, it's, it's interesting. It's in the imper- imperfect indicative uh, tense. So what it means is the way that we should translate, it says that he left behind everything and followed, is that it was actually he was following. He continued to follow Jesus. So it's not just a, a, a decision that Matthew made in a moment. It's not just a, a decision that this tax collector said, okay, I'll, I'll go with this guy and see what he has to say. I'll, I'll see how all this plays out. What we have here is he said, I, I'm going to pack it up and I'm going to follow this guy and I'm going to continue to follow this guy and, and I'm going to continue to follow this guy. It's kind of a, a good reminder for all of us too, isn't it? That following Jesus isn't just a decision that we make once. It's, it's something that we make every day. It's, it's a decision that we make every moment of every day, every opportunity that we have to either choose God's path or choose our own path. We have to continually choose to be following Jesus. So as Levi makes this substantial sacrifice to, to lay aside what uh, had been his way of life and, and follow Jesus, it was just that. It was a substantial uh, sacrifice. It was a substantial risk for him to lay aside what had been a pretty comfortable, wealthy life. He was doing pretty well for himself. He was a rich guy. Even though he wasn't popular, he was certainly rich because he was able to extort whatever it was that he wanted from uh, his fellow countrymen. So uh, what he did in committing to follow Jesus was he made a substantial sacrifice because unlike the fishermen, unlike the men in, a few weeks ago that had left their family, had left their boats, had left their family fishing business to follow Jesus, Matthew didn't have a job to go back to. 
Matthew didn't just get to say, you know, this Jesus thing isn't working out, so I'm going to go back with dad and go back to the boats and, and go back to being a fisherman. He gave up his position. He turned his back on, on Rome and on uh, the Roman uh, people that he was working for. So he didn't have anything to go back to. Like Hernan Cortez, uh, the, the Spanish uh, explorer in 1519 that, that came and found uh, part of the Americas and, and, and said, guys, we're going to keep going forward. He metaphorically burned the boats. It's Hernan Cortez burned the boats, that, that there's no option for us to leave and to go back home. Levi, he had no option to, 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 to abandon the path that he had chosen and go back. He said, Jesus, I'm all in. So the next thing that we're going to see, not only did uh, Jesus call this sinner to follow him, we also see that, that now he goes and he parties with these sinners in verse 29. Verse 29, it says, Levi gave a big reception for him, for, for Jesus in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. Levi hosted this feast, this celebration uh, of what had happened to him, and, and he puts on this banquet for Jesus in celebration of this incredible thing that has happened in his life. Uh, not only does he put a party together and, and celebrate what Jesus has done in his life, but he also invites all of his friends. Guys, you, you, you guys need to come meet this Jesus guy. The tax collector regarded this change in his life as, as, as worthy of rejoicing, as, as worthy of throwing a party and, and putting it all together, but, but it wasn't for him. See, it was to acknowledge and to thank Jesus for what Jesus had done in his life, and then because of that great uh, important thing that Jesus had done in his life in, in, in saving him and in giving him an opportunity to have purpose and meaning in his life, that, that Levi said, this guy's worth it. Hey, guys, you guys need to come meet him friends, all, all the people that he knew, you guys need to come meet him. And so he throws a party and this uh, sinner, this, what, what we see here is this sinner takes a total turn. He takes a total turn and he no longer is focused on just going out and doing what he wants, but, but he's got a new path and he wants to bring as many people with him on that path as, he, as he's possibly able to. He can't wait to share Jesus with those friends. Frequently for, for Christians, for those of us that are sitting here, we Many of us may have a similar story. See, when, when people come to faith in Jesus, maybe some of you guys came to faith as adults. I get to see it uh, with children frequently. I have had conversations with uh, families in our church uh, over the past few months and over the past year that we've been out here. And uh, we've talked about how sometimes children really get this better than we do as adults. You remember I, I talked about at the beginning of all of this that Sometimes when we grow up in the church and, and church just becomes something that it's just news that we're used to, it, it doesn't hold as special of a place in our lives. It's, it's not as important. It's not as mission critical for us to go and do the things that, that we're told that we need to do. We don't celebrate the things that, that were so significant to us when we first understood, when we first came to the Lord and first received salvation. But but you talk to a child that has first grasped and understood and, and, and gets how special Jesus is, man, they, you can't shut them up about Jesus, right? They run in and, and hey, do you, do you go to church? Do, you should come to Vacation Bible School with me. You, you should meet this Jesus guy that, 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 that I just placed my faith in. You see it with adults sometimes that, that come to faith later in life. 
They go out looking for anybody that they can talk to. Hey, hey, Jesus is so important. Let, let me tell you about what Jesus did in my life. You, you need him too. And that's what we see here with Levi. Levi hadn't gotten used to the idea. He hadn't gotten used to the fact that, oh yeah, we're, we're, we're cool with Jesus. It hadn't become just old news to him. It was something that was significant. It was something that was important to him. And it, it was important enough to him that, that he was willing to go and, and grab his friends and drag them. You guys got to meet him. You guys need to meet Jesus. Matthew is so excited for his friends to meet Jesus that he throws a party in Jesus's honor and drags everybody that he can there. So not only does he drag all of his friends, it also uh, draws the attention of some of the religious people. So the third thing that we see here in our passage is Jesus rebuking the self-righteous Pharisees. Let's look at verses 30 through 32. In these verses, we see the, the, the religious people, the, the Pharisees, the, the churchy people. We see their response to the way that Jesus had uh, been interacting with Levi and the way that he had chosen to attend Levi's party that he threw. Verses 30 through 32, it says, The Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and the sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, what we see here is something that we're going to see over and over and over again in uh, the Gospel of Luke. As, as we look at this story of how Jesus interacted with people, we see mercy for those who realize their need. Mercy for the sinners like the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the, 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 the people who knew that they weren't good enough. But, but then we have these religious people, these people that think they're good people, that, that they've got it all together and they don't, they're, they're not like the bad, sinful people. Jesus, what are you doing hanging out with these rotten, bottom-of-the-barrel people? How can you associate with, with people like Levi? We see the Pharisees grumble at the disciples now. They, they come to them and they say, what are you guys doing hanging out with all these sinners? In their view, Jesus had defiled himself. Jesus had, had taken it one step too far because by consorting with the, uh, the, the, the collective of Hebrew and Gentile scum— by consorting with the people that, that, that no good religious person, person should associate with, he had indicated friendship. He had indicated full acceptance of these people. He had indicated that these people were not just scum that needed to be cast out, but that they were people who were worthy of his attention. See, the Pharisees avoided sinners. They had, they had created this religious system that, that over the course of years and years, they had taken what, what God had given them. They had taken the law that we had looked at. You guys remember when we were looking at Deuteronomy last year, that law that God had given his people. And, and as he gave them instructions and as he gave them an explanation of how they were supposed to be different from the world, what the Pharisees had done is they took that, uh, that, that set of rules, they took that religion, they took that belief system that, that God had given them the rules, and so they started building on it. And they said, well, if, if God said that we shouldn't do this, then we shouldn't do this or this or this or this either because it, it's, it's, maybe it's, it's a little too close to sinning. And so they had built this huge religious system, and they had taken what God had given them and a few laws, and they had turned it into hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws and, 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 and religious practices and details that no mere mortal could uphold all of. They had built this religious system and they had, they had built it so that they could feel like they were 
meeting up to God's standards on their own. The Bible tells us that, that God didn't give us the law so that we would be made perfect by it, but that the law is our tutor, that, our, that the law is our tutor to bring us to Christ. It's, it's there to show us how imperfect we are and how badly we need a Savior, how badly we need Jesus. But what Jesus is doing here is he, he comes and he hangs out with these sinners, and the Pharisees freak out because when he went and, and gathered with the sinners, when he went and spent time with Levi and spent time with his friends, they're suggesting that Jesus is, is okay with what these guys are doing. Jesus isn't following all of our religious rules and expectations. The Pharisees avoided sinners while Jesus ran to sinners. The two perspectives cannot be more opposite, the way that Jesus viewed sinners and the way that the Pharisees viewed them. The Pharisees preferred a level of, of quarantine. That's a word that's familiar to us, right? They preferred to, to separate themselves. They didn't want to catch any of the sinners' cooties. Jesus' aim was not just to separate himself, to protect himself from them, but his goal was to go to them and to seek to make them well, to seek to make them healthy. And so Jesus' response to these righteous people, these self-righteous Pharisees, was he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, he says that, and I thought that was interesting, the way that he said that, because uh, he calls these people righteous. And we know that based on what it says in Romans chapter 3 and in other places throughout Scripture, uh, the biblical teaching is very clear. There is none righteous. Romans chapter 3 says there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understand. There is none who seek after God. There is no one that's good enough that, that, be, that can be considered righteous on their own. That the call to repentance is universal, that, that every single one of us needs forgiveness, that every single one of us needs God's work in our life. And so Jesus is not saying, you guys are good enough, but, but I'm going to go to these people. What he's saying here, this word where he says righteous is meant to, to be understood as those who assume themselves to be righteous, those who were self-righteous in, the, in their own eyes, that, that we're good enough, that we're, we're good people. That's a more common term that we would hear and use today, right? Well, I may not be perfect, but I'm a good person. That's what these Pharisees were saying. I'm a good person. The parallel account of uh, Matthew's calling in Matthew chapter 9, as Matthew's telling this own story, his own story, Matthew chapter 9 verse 13 records an extra line that Jesus said here, and he says, uh, in Matthew 9.13, Go and learn what it means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That, that statement, when Jesus said, I did not come, uh, I'm sorry, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. What he's doing is he's referencing the Old Testament prophet, Hosea. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6 uh, says, For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. What Hosea is saying there and, and what Jesus is saying by uh, referencing uh, Hosea's words is he's condemning Israel for its attention to ceremony, for their goal being religious obedience, checking all the boxes. What he's saying is God's goal is, is not for you to check all the boxes. It's not for you to, to follow some religious checklist of, I followed that rule, and I followed that rule, and I followed that rule. That's not God's desire. What God's desire is, is for the heart. For It says in, in Hosea 6, 6, I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. When Jesus said, I didn't come for the self-righteous, I came for the sick, I came for the sinners. 
Hosea's words laid at the, at the very core, at the very center of Jesus' mission. See, he had come to call those who knew that they were sinners, who knew that they didn't meet up to God's standards, who knew that they needed help. C.S. Lewis, uh, talking about this, he, he wrote and said it better than I can. He said, Christianity tells people to repent and promises them forgiveness. It has nothing, as far as I know, to say to people who do not know that they have done anything to repent of and who do not feel that they need any forgiveness. Christianity is for the sick. Christianity is for those who acknowledge, I am not enough on my own. I need Jesus. I need a helper. And that's what Jesus said he came to do. I've come not for the healthy. I've not come for the righteous. I've not come for the people who think that their religion is going to endear them or or put them in God's favor somehow because they somehow stacked up good enough. Jesus is saying, I came for the sick. I came for those who realize their need. See, what I was talking about at the beginning of all this, the, the, the danger that we can find ourselves in as we uh, grow up in Christianity, as we uh, find ourselves uh, 10 years of following Christ, 20 years of following Christ, 30 years of following Christ, what we find is that sometimes we can uh, Christianize ourselves right out of the mission of Christ. What we can do is, is we can find ourselves just building a little club, a little exclusive party that, that, that only people that are good enough get to be a part of. And, and what it does is it, it pushes out all of the people that, that may not be as polished around the edges as we are. We have to, to look right on the outside. We have to have all the, all the right externals. Everything needs to, to look just right, and, and we have to use the right terminology, and we have to, to listen to the right kind of music, and we have to, to say the right things. You know, when, when you come into church and someone asks you how you're doing, you know what the, the, the correct Christian answer is, right? Man, I'm just blessed. Man, God is good, isn't he? Maybe. God is good all the time, but, but it's okay to sometimes when someone asks you how are you to say, Man, it's been a rough week. We don't have to, to have the perfect face on all the time, but, but sometimes as we spend more and more and more time in church, we find ourselves guilty of, of letting ourselves just become so perfect Christianized that we distance ourselves from, from who Jesus really was in the Gospels. We must never forget that, that ultimately, at the very core of who we are, we're not good people. We're sinners, we're people who, the, the, the only reason why we come to church, the only reason why we come to Christ, the only reason why any of us has any hope in standing before Jesus one day and, and hearing him call us his is that we realize how sinful we are and that we need a Savior. We must keep inviting people to, to church. We must keep inviting people to Jesus, just like we've talked about in weeks past, just like we saw in in. In Matthew's life, he said, I realize that I'm not good enough, and Jesus called me to follow him, so I'm going to follow him, but, but not only am I going to follow him, guys, you got to come meet him too. It was important for him to keep inviting sinners to come to Christ. So what do we do with all this? Well, tonight, if you are listening out there on uh, YouTube, if you are sitting here tonight and uh, you have not made that decision to, to follow Christ like Levi did, can I, can I press pause on all of this other stuff for a minute and just ask you, would you pause and, and just consider for a moment making the best decision that you'll ever make? 
It was the best decision that I ever made, and it has radically changed my life. And, and things that, that you hear people say, well, well, well I'm going to find happiness in this. You know, I, I get the joy of sitting back and, and just watching people make their decisions in life sometimes. And, and a lot of the times I get called in to counsel in difficult situations. So you know what? I, I get to watch all of the dead-end trails. Well, I'm going to find happiness at the bottom of a bottle. You know what? There's no happiness at the bottom of that bottle. Well, I'm going to find happiness in a relationship. Well, you know what? The problem with finding happiness in a husband or a wife, in a boyfriend or a girlfriend, in some casual fling, is is that ultimately that relationship is with another sinful person. Just like I'm a sinner, just like you're a sinner, they're, they're a sinner too. And so you're not going to find happiness in some person. You're not going to find fulfillment in some person because that person ultimately is going to fail you at some point. The reason why Christian marriage works is because we love our spouse because God loved us, not because they deserve it all the time. So I can tell you path after path after path, there is nothing that will ultimately bring you joy in this world aside from giving yourself, from, from, from following Jesus in the same way that Levi did. Come to him, follow him, give, give it a shot. Just give it a shot. If nothing other than start asking questions. If you've not made that decision, just start asking questions. Grab the person next to you. Come over here after the service is over and, and grab a member of our prayer team and just start asking questions. What does this look like? What does this mean? Church, what about the rest of us, that, that that's not the call for you tonight? We have to remember, we, we have to, to look at this story and remember that following Jesus requires getting our hands dirty sometimes. See, what we see here is this contrast with what Jesus thought was important versus what the religious people, the, the Pharisees, thought was important. Sometimes we have to get our hands dirty and, and believe Jesus' words in verses 31 and 32 when he said, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, Jesus' initiative in this story is, is, is really significant to us. It's revealing to us because he doesn't just call sinners. He doesn't just invite sinners. He seeks them out. He is found in places where the sinners hang out, where the sinners gather, and he makes reaching out to them not just something that, that happens by accident occasionally. He makes it a priority in his life. But you may be thinking, well, what about those Bible verses that say that we should be separate from the world, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 5 has some of those verses. 1 Corinthians 5 verses 9 and 10, it says, uh, Paul wrote this. He said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or the swindlers, or the idolaters. For then, you would have to go out of the world. He's saying, if we're going to run away and hide from all the sinners, you know what? We better go find somewhere else to live, because every single one of us is a sinner. If we're going to go separate ourselves from sinners, if we're going to go separate ourselves from the, the sin that exists in the world, you better just leave earth, because there's nowhere that you can find that you're not going to interact with sinful people. So if we aim to separate ourselves completely from sinners, we, we better get creative. You better get creative because not only can you not be around anybody else, as soon as you get there, you know what's going to happen? Well, there's now sinners there. So, uh-oh. 
But what he says here, what, what he's talking about, is to be holy by having no contact with sinners means that, that we would have to go out of the world. But in the next couple of verses, he explains what he actually meant when he said not to associate with sinful people. Verses 11 through 13 in that same chapter, he says, But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. See, what these verses talk about, we, we, we like to take them and target them towards the people on the outside. That I, I, I don't want to go hang out with those people. What Paul's actually talking about here is, is how we need to love each other enough that, that hey, if, if we all say, I, I follow Jesus and, and, and my life is, is supposed to be stamped by the things that he says is important, the things that, that he says my life should be about, well, then we should be calling each other out on that. He's talking about church discipline. He's not talking about hiding from the rest of the world. But Christians, guys, we, we, we run the risk of, of being so self-sufficient. We, we have our social gatherings and we have our friends that, that go to church with us. And it's wonderful to have Christian friends. But we sometimes find ourselves so enamored by our church friends that we don't have any other friends, that we're not even capable of doing what Levi did in these verses and in, in, in going and grabbing the people that need to meet Jesus and bringing them to Jesus. But what we see here is, as Jesus says, go out, find the sick. Jesus made a point of going to Levi's party, of, of being around the people that were sick that needed him most because they needed to hear the message. They were the ones that needed to come. Let's not find ourselves so separated, so Christianized, that we're separated from, from what a Christian really ought to be. The Bible talks about how we're to be salt in the world, that, that we're supposed to be light in the world, that, that we're supposed to look different and that we're supposed to call people to Jesus because Jesus is at work in our lives. Because of the work that's happened in us, it should reflect in a way that, that other people see it and other people ultimately go, I want what he has. I want what she has. And we should find opportunities to, to do like Levi did, to, to, to drag our friends to Jesus. Hey, you need to meet this guy that's so important in my life. But we need to be careful. We need to be careful to, 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 to not find ourselves slipping into the sinful practices. We, if Jesus had just gone and, and become a tax collector, that, wouldn't, that probably wouldn't have accomplished his mission, right? But he can't just separate. In the same way, we can't just separate. As the New Testament says, we're called to be in this world, but not of this world. We're not of this world, but we're called to be a light in it. We're called to make a difference in it. Let's do it like Jesus did. Would you guys pray with me? God, we... Um, God, we need you, and, and, and other people need you as well. So, God, as we, 
gather tonight as we look at this message of how Jesus uh, crossed a bridge. Jesus uh, made a, way, a point of going out of his way to, to reach into the life of a sinner like Levi. God, I pray that you would help us tonight, sitting here at church, realize that, that God, you call us to cross bridges sometimes as well. God, I, I pray that as we are sitting here, God, God, as I'm talking to you, God, I pray that we would shut up and listen a little bit tonight as well. God, that, that you would speak into our hearts, and God, that you would put someone on our hearts, that God, just like Levi did, he, he went and, and brought his friends to Jesus. God, I pray that you would put someone on our hearts, that God, we might be able to cross a bridge like Jesus did. God, that, that we would find an opportunity to, to, to go and to be in the world, but not of the world. That we would go out and that we would make a difference the way that you call us to. God, that we would call people to repentance in the way that Jesus did. God, that we would remember Jesus's mission, that he did not come for the self-righteous. He did not come for the religious. He did not come for those who thought they were healthy. God, he came for the sick. He came for those who realized they were not enough on their own. So God, help us to, to look at our lives in the same way. God, help us to look at our friend circle. God, help us to look at our family. God, help us to look at our coworkers. Help us look at those who we maybe go to school with. God, whatever it is, God, help us to look at those people that you've put in our lives with, God, with a heart like Jesus had. As it talks about in, in, in Matthew, I believe it's chapter 9, it says that, that Jesus looked out at the crowds and he had compassion on them that his heart broke for them, that, that he looked at them and they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. God, we have people in our lives that are, that are hurting, that are helpless, that are like harassed sheep that don't have a shepherd. God, they need us. God, give us the boldness and the strength to go and to be the light in the world that you call us to be, that Jesus was, that Matthew was, that we should be. God, do your work in us. Do your work through us. Amen.